Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. Today, I'm so excited to have on the show Carolyn Haydu. Uh, we came across each other when reaching out to her about her upcoming exhibit, her upcoming art show, which I'm so excited to get into today. But I wanted to give Carolyn the chance to say a little bit about herself and just what she does as an artist. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thank you so much to me. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to have you. Uh, Can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself? I know you studied art at um, Berkeley as well as NYU. Uh, So can you just let them know a little bit about your background within the arts? Sure. Um, I'll start I'll go way back. I'll start from the beginning because the older I get, the more I realize our our very early beginnings, they matter a lot um, in shaping who we become. And my first artistic influence was my grandfather. He was a Hungarian immigrant. He came over to the U.S. when he was around 12. And he uh, just worked a lot of odd jobs and bounced around, including becoming a sailor with the Navy and bartending. Eventually, he worked on Hollywood sets for most of his career as a carpenter, and he painted in a tiny studio in the back of his house his entire life. And when I was growing up, that was cool. I thought that was the most amazing thing, and he was definitely someone I wanted to emulate. Um, Fast forward, getting into UC Berkeley that art department was very conceptual, lots of really bright uh, kids that were making very political art. And I, that's just not exactly how I approached art. I didn't approach art from a concept and then try to fit the image to the concept. I always just had visions of images and I never wanted to second guess that. So kind of stumbled through that art department, but I did all right. And then eventually I went to NYU for my master's and really kind of started to catch on to what my stride was as an artist. I love that. I love it because I think it's so important, right? Our stories are so interwoven into who we are as creatives and as artists. And that is so cool watching your grandfather as you were growing up and seeing the art that he produced and working in his small studio and just being able to have that experience and then yourself becoming an artist years later. Just going through the process of 
you know, of course, being an artist, you have your own approach, right, to art. And I heard you mention just at Berkeley how there were particular types of artists within that department at the time. Did you ever feel at a moment or have you ever felt throughout your career like there have been times when people have tried to sort of box your art in, your approach to being an artist? That's a good question. Not, not really. What I found more, perhaps they did and I didn't notice or didn't care. But what I noticed more was that throughout my career as an artist, I've oftentimes wondered why I couldn't fit into the boxes that were provided for me in terms of what was cool, what was fashionable, what was timely. And um, I kind of struggled with wondering where my place was in the art world. And then, but even stronger was the urge to make exactly what my visions were telling me to make. And they, they weren't cool or fashionable or necessarily on trend a lot of the time, but now that I'm older, I don't care because I realize that it's listening to our really particular voice that makes us interesting artists. It's not about trying to be on trend or fashionable. It's about getting really good at figuring out what makes us unique and then pushing that to the limit. So I hope that answers your question. I don't think people have really tried to box me in as much as I wondered why I couldn't fit in with the... um with what I perceive to be fashionable art. I love that so much because it speaks to authenticity. (laughs) I think it's so important to be able to have that, have that mindset where you don't care (laughs) about how people perceive your work, but you're able to just flow in whatever it is you're inspired by at the time. So speaking of inspiration, I know you have your art show coming up on March the 18th, The Great Here and Now. Can you tell me about the inspiration behind that work? Totally. And I love the great here and now. Actually, I maybe even like that title better, but the real title is the great here after. But I love that you said the great here and now. I really love that. I actually, I think that might even be a better title um, because that what you said really speaks to like the exact present moment. And I think like when I was coming up with that title, the great here after, I was thinking like, let me open up in my mind the idea of a great future because all I'm feeling right now is fear and frustration. Uh, the, the inspiration for this show was absolutely getting kicked out of our studio spaces. So I have been a part of an art community in West Oakland centered at American Steel Studios on Mandela Parkway in West Grand for 11 years. But that community has been living a living artist community for probably 30 plus years. I mean, it, it was an old abandoned steel factory that wasn't being used. So a lot of Burning Man artists took over and started making their their uh, their visions happen there and big, big art pieces. I have never been to Burning Man myself, but I enjoyed seeing the 
scale that they could make things. And I eventually ended up having a studio there. Um, that huge property was sold to a real estate, huge real estate corporation based in Oregon last September for about $80 million. And that corporation, SKB, a bunch of finance bros, and I say that disparagingly because I've met them and talked to them, and that is what they seem like to me. Um, and forgive me if I sound bitter. I think I do have a little bitterness because they were very dismissive and they are evicting all the artists and dismantling this community that has these deep roots in Oakland and a really diverse group of people from all walks of life, all races, all sexual orientations, just a huge meeting place for the arts in West Oakland is com completely going to be gone in May. And I was mad, but there's nothing I could do about it. I tried all of these. I tried to, you know, contact my council person and get the press involved. It, it didn't really work. The thing is that it's private property and they bought it. So, yeah. I think that's I think that's why I saw the great hereafter, but said the great here now. I said the great here and now or the great here now because of the fact that it's crazy to me that, like you said, from just your disposition and, and being in the thick of it, this company to to come in, this real estate company, your finance bros to come in and to essentially move out artists who have been creating there for years. And this has been their creative home. This mm -hmm. has been the place where they have conceptualized a lot of the art that they've created over the years. And so I'm sure that this is not the only um, community of artists who may be experiencing this throughout the U.S. And I want to ask you, just as um, this process happens and as you're experiencing this as an artist, what would you say to um, other artists and other creatives within communities throughout the U.S. who may be experiencing something similar on the process of sort of working through and um, really honestly grieving the move because you've done everything that you can do within your power as an artist. I wish I had better advice. Um, I am learning right now how to survive it. But I think as an artist, number one, uh, make some noise about it. Make noise. Talk to people. Just make noise. Make Talk to the press. Talk to your community because people do care that American Steel Studios will be lost. There's a lot of people in the community that are going to miss it. And they're talking about it now. I printed up flyers with this story on it, distribu distributed them all over Oakland. People are talking about it now. It doesn't mean that it's going to change things. But the more we talk about how gentrification, unrelenting gentrification in the Bay Area is pushing artists out, the more that maybe there's a hope that uh, some people will try to keep artists in in the mix. Um, the way I've dealt with it is I tried the different avenues. I then made some noise and then I made art about it. So my show is a direct response to being kicked out of the studios. The great hereafter is like, okay, this one era is done. 
we're going to jump into a new future and we're going to stay resilient and positive. As artists, we have to build up our resilience because the U.S. is not a friendly place to artists. Capitalism does not reward people who go into their studios and create like magical little things for for next to no money. I mean, sometimes we never get paid for our artwork. Why do we do this in a society that rewards money, money, money? Because we can't help it because we have creative juices running through our veins. And if we block it, we will die, maybe not physically, but spiritually. So anyways, I feel like I'm going on a tangent, but what my advice is artists make some noise, band together, look for spaces and warehouses to rent together, put your resources together, figure out what's still available, hold on to it, do your best. To that point, what resources do you feel would be important um, for artists and particularly women in the arts? Your community. Number one resource for me is community because I don't have a ton of financial resources. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't come from wealth. I have waited tables and worked in restaurants for most of my life to uh, support my artwork. But my resources is absolutely my community. I have deep roots now in the Bay Area. I've lived here for 25 years. And I know a lot of people. So my resources are... Uh, my friends, my community, the people who have collected my artwork in the past. If there are artists out there that are going through, you know, a period of being displaced and uh, kicked out of their studio, reach out to your community. That's your number one resource. Talk to them and ask them if they have anything to offer in terms of resources and space. That seems like a consistent theme that I hear no matter what artists I'm interviewing is that community is key and it's so important and essential, right? To the elevation of of art and the voice of people who create it. Yeah. And you know, just to add to your the last thing you asked about women artists, I've really noticed that women artists tend to support each other even more than just general artists in general. Like I, for women artists, there are so many blogs right now and Instagram pages that are dedicated to particular female identifying artists, and they will help. They have your back. They will they will support you. So that's definitely a resource to tap into. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's a part of the reason why it was so important. It was vital. I'll say vital to create this community because there is an apparent <laughs> disparity um, and inequity within arts, both visual and performing arts. And to ignore it for me is to become a part of this cycle that has um, continued. And totally, if we totally lend our platforms, our voices, our finances our communities and leverage our resources to help other women within the art space i feel that is the way that we are going to be able to amplify the voices of important work and important artists and there's not there's always been this narrative that you know women can't support one another or that there aren't communities and spaces that are safe spaces for women to really share and to really feel supported. And I definitely disagree. 
I disagree with that too. And I think things are really changing right now. I, I was reading on your website, I think you wrote something and correct me if I'm wrong, that didn't you say like 25% of working artists out there are female? So there, there was a USC Annenberg study done, particularly on women um, artists who were seen within or who had visibility within the uh, Billboard Top 100 charts over a period of time. And they did an assessment of 800 artists. But I remember for me, when I started this, uh, the platform She Rocks event prior to getting into the state of femme arts, the reason that I started doing a showcase for women in visual and performing arts is because I wanted to do a feature, like a feature film on women in um, visual arts at that time in Washington, D.C. And when I started to do the research, I found an article that stated that less than 20% of women artists were being showcased in Smithsonian's and museums across the world. And I was infuriated <laughs> because yeah. you know, I had friends and I heard so many women to say, hey, well, you know, my corporate job isn't necessarily what I love. I really desire to be an artist, but I don't necessarily have the support or to see immensely talented women who had pop-up shows and different things, but did not receive the funding, the financial support. Um, they were not being commissioned. They weren't being exhibited at some of the bigger shows at the bigger museums. Um, they weren't receiving the same type of investment on within the you know auction house. And it was very frustrating because... Women are just as talented, not for being a woman, but just simply for being talented artists, for having stories and narratives that are fueling what they're creating. And I was upset. So, so to your point, I went on a rant because it's something that I'm really passionate about. But um, to your point, yes, that was uh, the highlight on the website. And you may have you may be speaking about you're actually right, because we have some statistics on there for women in visual and performing arts. But the latest article we did um, was on a USC Annenberg study. I just think it's so interesting, everything you said, because what I see is what what I caught my, like, kind of took my breath away is that I thought to myself, it's not that there are, of all the artists out there that are working and showing, they're 20% female. They're, they're way more than that. But what I'm hearing from you is that it's only the ones that are really given museum shows or access and funding and support of all those artists, it's only 20% that are female. It's not that there are just 20% of female making up the artist's force. It's that they're just way underrepresented in, in institutions that really feel like they matter. And I think that's true. It is changing. I do feel like, especially in the last two years, and especially since the Me Too movement, that it's shifting a little bit. But it is amazing to me to realize how much art history has been written by men for men and how much incredibly talented women have been written out of these histories. And um, yeah, I just hope that that we change that right now, like right now. <laughs> 
but it's hard, you know, because I think primarily men still are in the inner sanctum of like board of directors and, um, you know, they have most of the money. So we'll see. I think it's changing. Yeah, I would, (laughs) I would hope so. I think I've been seeing that as well, but I feel it's because people are starting to speak up. They're starting to advocate. Like you said, they're making that noise. Yeah. And um, it's crazy because being in a space where so much of art history has been narrated and, and curated by men, it is important to have um, voices, like you said, from different lived experience experiences, from different backgrounds, um, from different walks of life. And, you know, it can't just be art can't just be this patriarchy. <laughs> oh, God, it's terrible. Yeah. And I feel women have so much to bring to the art world. They have everything to bring, everything and more to bring. They have everything to bring. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've been really fascinated with this subject too lately. I've been listening to all these podcasts on uh, forgotten women in history and like past female queens. And like, I'm like totally getting into it. But what amazes me is that there are so many women that were powerful and that were written out of history from like... And, and and along with that, a lot of powerful female artists that were also just stuffed in a box and put away. It's not that they didn't exist. They existed. They just broke, they had to break all the rules and the people that were writing for posterity were men. So, I mean, there, I just learned about an amazing um, playwright in the Middle Ages. No one was writing plays in the Middle Ages except one female nun who went nutballs and wrote all of these like genius plays that are just seeing the light of day now. How come we don't, we haven't studied this person. It's amazing. Like she definitely predates, you know, William Shakespeare and her plays are amazing. And so it's like, it just opened up my eyes to, to realize like there's always art being done by women. It was always happening. Absolutely. In this space that you are right now, and just us being in Women's History Month, what are some of the women artists who have inspired your work? That's such a good question. There's so many. I think I'm going to start with Kiki Smith, who is just uh, kind of witchy and makes these fantastic drawings, and they're very authentic. Um, I always loved Maya Lin and that she's, I, my work does not, um, well, let's see, does it, it's, I'm actually turning a little bit more towards looking at topography as an inspiration. Maya Lin created the Vietnam, um, memorial as I think she was like a 24 year old Yale student who got this immensely, uh, prestigious commission and it's now considered a classic of art but it was very controversial at the time because she didn't do some like you know uh typical war memorial she did a granite slab that cut through the earth because that's what war does to us and she perfectly distilled that um i love i think she's a, a genius um gosh who else do i love i mean 
in literature, Toni Morrison, I can't tell you what reading Beloved, and I know it's cliche because that won the Nobel Prize and everyone loves that book, but I don't think I'd ever written a book that I felt like the mind of God had opened up and this person had taken literature and exploded it and almost like written in a poetic form. And I, it produced so many images and a lot of them disturbing, but it changed the way I felt. It had a profound effect on me. Um, there's so many great artists. Um, Kara Walker, I just saw a huge Kara Walker piece at the Berkeley Art Museum because they had, um, not because, but she was included in uh, a feminist art exhibition that was really good. But her piece was like an entire wall. And Kara Walker is just spooky, amazingly good. I don't know. She's a genius, really. Um, some other female artists that I love. Who am I loving right now? Um, God, there's so many. Um, why am I? blanking there's um i you know close to home in my personal community of like bay area artists i love um kathleen uh ventura is an amazing artist uh she does these very uh kind of disturbing drawings that kind of are bringing out what's happening in the society but almost if you were looking into the dark underbelly of the unconscious of society Amazing work. I love Christine Leon. She does these amazing paintings. She just had a show in LA. I don't know. I'm rambling on. Do you want me to stop? I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. No, I, we're, you're giving us all of these gems of artists that we need to go check out. Some who we're familiar with, of course, because they're more mainstream, but um, it's nice to hear. It's nice always to hear the different artists who inspire um, other artists and just in general, other women that we should be looking to or checking out their artwork or checking out their literature to see if we can, you know, find a sense of inspiration through their art. Yeah, there's um, there's just there's so many amazing women artists out there that speak to me with their really deeply sensual, emotional work. And I, I know that's a stereotype about a lot of women artists. You don't have to be emotional. You don't have to be like an emotional artist, but I personally am. And I respond to that kind of work. Um, yeah. But I feel in a way it's also, it's also that wow factor as well. And also is something that really is that if you you think about social media, because I'm always thinking about in the digital age and context, that sort of scroll stopping thing that really causes you to be entranced by art is being able to feel when you look at a piece, when you look at something that uh, really pulls on or evokes emotion, right? I feel that is why we are inspired by artists is because they put their heart into what they're doing because they put their emotion into what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's just so like, I really respond to work that's fueled by, um, by immense passion and they're, 
I am less moved by art that is extremely conceptual in nature, meaning that you can almost distill a piece of work to a one-liner. So do you feel you're more into abstract art? You know, I have two sides of my personality in that I right now have been really interested in abstract art because of this last show was a series of paintings that I did on paper and then dismantled and then reformed and then dismantled. And I was just kind of mirroring the process in my art of what I perceive to be resilience in life, which is the ability to reconfigure broken pieces. So no, that was a lot, but like that works better for me than abstract. Um, but I also love figurative work. I, I mean, that was my first love was drawing and figurative drawing. So also during the pandemic, I started doing portraits of my friends in the restaurant industry because we all lost our jobs and we were like, what are we going to do now? And so I started drawing pictures of my friends um, and kind of portraying them as somewhat magical beings or at least like mythical characters in their own sort of myth of their life and trying to imbue the portraits with what looks like they possess some sort of magical power. So yeah, I have two sides of my purse, my art personality that way, but I enjoy people who work in all different, all different styles. I think that's so dope. And I think we can learn from people who work in all different styles and industries. I think it's so cool that you use that time of, oh my gosh, we all lost our jobs. What are we going to do to really, uh, really make your friends into these mystical characters, right? They're like superheroes now. Yeah, I got, so my friends in the restaurant, I've probably completed about five of those big, they're big too. They're almost life-size. They take me forever, but like I got two of them accepted into the DeYoung Museum in San Francisco. So that was a highlight of my 2020 because that year sucked. That was a really terrible year. And that was, you know, having my friend Christian and my friend Leland, who both I, you know, know from the restaurant industry, hanging in, a, you know, their portraits hanging in a major museum in San Francisco made me feel so uplifted. And I think it made them feel a little uplifted, too. Christian and I went to the actual uh, show together and had a laugh because, you know, his picture's on the wall. So that was uplifting, you know. Imagine going to a gallery and you look at art and the art is you. (laughs) We had a laugh, definitely. Um, They were really dressed up. My friend Christian is like, I think he's like, no, I want to, he's not he, they, sorry. They're over six feet, uh, dressed to the nines. uh, And when Christian would walk through the gallery, people would stare and just want to talk to him, to them. And like even had the, the museum docents like, I love your outfit. And Christian would be like, thanks. And it was just, I mean, people just stopped to make way for Christian. I, yeah, we walked through, you know, we, at that time we went through, uh, the Frida Kahlo exhibit that was, um, happening at the de young and it was more of an exhibit of her artifacts of her life her journals 
her braces because she had so many surgeries. And of course, she's also on my list of, you know, artists that I love. Everyone loves Frida Kahlo now, and she's so commercialized that it's almost banal to say she's a favorite. But she was a great artist, a great, fantastic, amazing human being, too. And at the time, completely overshadowed by her famous artist's husband. And people um, were very condescending in the way they talked about her art. But it turns out she was a better artist. And so it's so interesting to me to see how that museum, it was packed. That exhibit was packed. People just had got to see everything about her. But it was also a little creepy because we were looking through her journals and looking at her things that maybe she didn't want people to see. But now that she's dead, it's like all bets are off. And we, you know, they found a closet that had been locked with all her personal things and it was opened. And now all of that's on display at a major museum. Like Christian was like, I don't feel comfortable with this. And I said, wow, I'm feeling so conflicted because I'm number one, I'm fascinated, but this is this, this woman's mm-hmm. interior, interior, personal inner garden. That's now just totally on display. How do we feel about that? She's dead. I don't think she cares, but is it okay? No, no, I'm, I'm definitely taking the, the podcast into a different direction with that. But that actually brings me to a question. So is there ever a time where you create art that is solely for your eyes only? Something that is your personal um, garden or a, a personal space where you're just doing art for you? Oh, that's such a good question. That's such a great question. Um, Because it makes me think, rarely, rarely do I ever do that. And why? It makes me uncomfortable to know that I've... It's not that I've never done that. I've kept journals and have done drawings that were... um, related to past traumas in my life that I don't, you know, I wouldn't share, but I don't do that anymore because I'm so focused on the career artwork. And that, you know, your question makes me realize, am I losing a little bit of that personal connection for just art for me? That is such a good question. And I really wish I would have, I, if I could pose that question to all the art artists that I admire, I would do that right now. Yeah. I- I think it's just this thing of, for me, you know, on the other side, right? Because I create, but from a different, a different point of view and a different perspective. I'm not a visual artist. So for me, experiencing art as a viewer, it is a lot of the time very therapeutic for me. And art in its different forms. And Art has saved my life in so many different ways. Now, when it comes to literature, when it comes to poetry, that is something that I have done consistently because it was therapeutic for me. So that's why I started to write. Um, And so when I think of other artists and other people who create, I just wonder if they ever reserve a space, a, a moment, a piece of their creation for themselves. I think that's such a great question. I think right now what I've done is I've done art for myself. So take it or leave it. 
whoever's on, whoever decides to be the audience. But I haven't gone so far as to make art that I wouldn't share, if that makes sense. So it's kind of in the middle. It's like, I'm not making art for people. I'm making art exactly the way I want to do it right now. But I'm always willing to share it um, outside of these like little journal that I used to do. I'm never really making art that I know no one will ever see. So that's so interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense. So what is one thing that you want people to walk away from your art show, The Great Hereafter on March the 18th? What is one thing you want people to walk away feeling, knowing, or experiencing through that art show? I want people to walk away knowing that art is essential. And it might not be that my art is essential to them, but I want people to, especially people in the Oakland community, the Bay Area community to go, we must have artists as a part of our community or we're going to be dead and boring. We must have the arts in our life because beauty is important. Uh, And if I can pull that off in any way, that is what I want people to walk away with. Like, oh my God, this made me feel good to come to this art exhibit, to have an open space, to see work that reminded me that things are beautiful, that the human spirit can invest in things that are not just about a monetary, um, you know, increasing our wealth. Uh, People are driven to do things in their life that are not just about, you know, adding to their financial portfolio. They're interested in beauty, truth, and sharing and community. We must have this in our communities. Let us do something to keep the artists around Um, because that's dying in the barrier. It's very, very expensive here. It's like the most expensive place to live in the country. And artists are moving away because they can't handle it anymore, you know. Just so people get a reality check, what is the average, like, space for rent there? Like, if an artist wanted to rent a studio or a warehouse, what would that look like in Oakland? So, great question. Right now, 2 to $3 a square foot, but mostly more than that. I think, um, so right now I'm paying about... 850 for 450 square feet. But as, but as I look around, because I, I need a studio space right now. If there are any listeners out there that have a studio space in Oakland, I'm going to be kicked out in May. So when I look around, I'm looking at spaces that are double that price. And I'm like, how the hell do they expect artists to pay for this? Like, And this is not a living space. We're talking about like a square room with perhaps some running water. We're not talking about like a place that you can live and it's still that expensive. So, you know, we scramble here in the Bay Area to try and survive. Wow. No, I think that's so important for listeners to hear. And if anyone is listening and you do have space or you connection within Oakland, California, please, please, please get in contact with Carolyn, get in contact with 
others that you know within the art community there so that we can support in making sure that artists have space to create. Um, Carolyn, can you let them know how they can get in touch with you, how they can continue to support your art and the artists there in the Oakland community? Thank you so much for asking and giving me the opportunity to talk to you. And your questions have been so good and have helped me define what I'm even doing here in my creative process. Um, people can find me on my website, carolynhadu.com. And Carolyn is spelled with two N's. So it's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-N. My last name is H-A-Y-D-U, carolynhadu.com, or on Instagram, which is carolyn, spelled with the two N's, underscore Hadu. You can find me there. And all my, my daily projects are up there. And um, yeah, that those are the those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the State of Film Art podcast. You can catch new episodes biweekly on Thursdays, and make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt, and you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.